So we are in our series under construction that we've been doing for a while. In fact, we only got a week or two left of this. Uh, we started out in September. Uh, we've been talking about the building blocks of faith and the, the, the fact that our faith, we're always being built up. That's Jesus' heart for us, is that we'd be built up in our faith. And we talked about what some of those building blocks were, are in September. Now this month, we're talking about how those play out in our life. Uh, last week, we talked about how it should play out in selflessness in our life, and in the giving of ourselves and serving others. And today, we're gonna continue with another byproduct of the building blocks of faith in our life. And so I'm gonna jump into the Word. I'm gonna read my text verse for you this morning. If you would stand with me, please, as we honor God by reading His Word together out of the book of Psalms in chapter 13. It says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? <laughs> Anyone ever thought that? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? I wanna to talk to you today about persevering while we wait and the, uh, the outworking of the building blocks of faith in our life is perseverance. Uh, the title of my message is simply, How Long, Lord? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do love you today, God. We thank you for this great day. Thank you that we come together in the house and just worship you and hear your word, God. I pray that your word would go forth today, that my words would be your words, that anything in here that is not of me today, Lord, that it would just fall on deaf ears, but that whatever is of you, God, that it would change us, that it would make us more like you, and it would draw us closer to you, God. Help us, Lord Jesus. I pray that our hearts would be good soil today. And Lord, above all, we pray that you and you alone would get all the glory. And it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen. Praise God. You could be seated. Thank the Lord. So, talking about perseverance, we're talking about waiting today. You know, it's no uh, revelation to any of you that our culture does not like to wait, right? In fact, if you're gonna start a business in the United States, part of your business model has to focus on speed and efficiency and getting your product or your service to people in a way that they won't have to wait for a really long time, right? That's very important. We are a microwave society. Our society does not like to wait any longer than they have to. You can get packages overnight. You can get uh, meals sent right to your door. You could do all kinds of things quickly. And that's what we want. And that's what we expect in our society today. Um, in fact, one of, the, one of the stark differences between Western society and developing nations is the idea of efficiency and doing things quickly and not having to wait much, right? I, I have had the privilege of spending lots of time in many developing nations. I spent a year in a developing nation where we actually lived there. We rented a house and uh, we had a power bill. And when it, every time during the month, when it, or the, every month when the power bill was due, one of us had to go pay the power bill. And you had to take cash and you had to go down there and wait and it was, um, it was an all-day endeavor. In fact, if it was your time to pay the, bill, you know, the power bill, somebody asked you what you're doing today, the answer was simply paying the power bill. That was it. I hope I'm back by dinner. Right? And, and in the U.S. and in Western culture, it doesn't take even one second of your time sometimes because you can set up auto pay, and they send you an email letting you know that they took it out of your account, and you didn't have to look at it. Right? That's, what we, that's the difference, a stark difference between cultures, but that's what is expected in our culture today. Now, there are bigger things, landmark things in life that we're willing to wait for because we know that it's necessary. You know, we'll wait to, to graduate from high school because we know we have to. We'll wait to, to drive as a young person because you know you have to wait till your feet can touch the pedals at least, right? Uh, we'll wait to get married until that right person comes along. We'll wait to retire until we've put in our, paid our dues and saved enough money to where we could really retire. 
We don't really like it, but we at least understand it, and we will wait. Unless it has to do with our faith. We don't like to wait in our faith because we don't really understand very often why we have to wait. Especially when we're waiting, and in our waiting, we are suffering. We are maybe even being tormented in some ways. Maybe there's some emotional stress that's coming because of the fact that we're waiting on God. So we don't really like to wait for God because it goes against our logic in many cases in our life. But the reality is, is that one of the biggest challenges in our faith is going to be waiting for God to do X, whatever that thing is. It's one of the biggest challenges in our faith. And it's compounded in our life because all of us are always waiting for something from God. If you are a person of faith, if you're living this life of faith, you are always waiting for something. Because even when God maybe meets you at that place and he answers your prayer and gives you a solution to that thing you've been waiting for, we know there are 10 other things waiting to jump to the front of the line. If you have any expectation, if you have any passion for Jesus at all, you're waiting for something now. I am, you, we all are. Everybody is always waiting. So it, it can be compounded in our life because it seems like to be, it's a never ending endeavor in our life. And the obvious question for us is why? Why do we always have to wait for God? Especially when it defies logic. How many of you have thought to yourself like, man, if I was God, I would do this because this seems to make more sense, right? So why do we have to wait? Well, one of the biggest reasons I believe wholeheartedly is to cultivate the discipline of perseverance in our life. The Bible's very clear that God's call for us is to persevere and to learn how to persevere. And you can't persevere through good things. I don't have to persevere when things are going my way. I only have to persevere when things are not going my way. And so it makes it challenging in our life. And many of you have been waiting and waiting and you're tired and you're weary and you're hopeless and you're discouraged. I know that, I hear from some of you, I know enough to know that many, many people are feeling that way right now. And can I tell you today, right at the very top, that I want you to know that God has not forgotten you. God is not punishing you. God is not, uh, he's not, not thinking about you. You're not low on his list. I can tell you today, unequivocally, on the authority of God's word, that he has a purpose and a plan in you waiting. It's a guarantee. He has a purpose and a plan in you waiting. And the key for us oftentimes, more even than getting the solution to the waiting and to the issue, is to understand his purpose and his plan. Or at least to have a perspective that even if we don't understand it, we know that we can trust him in the midst of it. That is everything for us in our faith, is to have his perspective in, our, in any issues that we have in life. And see, the way we persevere, the way we deal with waiting actually reveals where we are in other disciplines in our faith. Perseverance is one of the most difficult disciplines in the faith, but it, is, it reveals where you are in other disciplines. It reveals where you are in your faith. It reveals where you are in your trusting of him. It reveals where you are in your surrender to him. It reveals where you are in your giving of yourself to him and to others. Perseverance will reveal it all. Perseverance, waiting, is a report card, okay? We all dread the report card, especially if we're not doing well. When we're doing okay, it's all right if we get it, but the report card isn't a test. The report card actually reveals where you're at. It will tell a parent, a teacher, where you're at in that subject. Waiting reveals where we are in our faith. How we wait reveals where we are in our faith. It's an incredibly important report card. 
You show me someone that's mature and seasoned in their faith, I'll show you someone that knows how to thrive while they wait. And the opposite is true too. You show me someone that's really shallow in their faith, their faith's really all about themselves, they don't really know what they're doing, they're not really invested a lot, I'll show you someone that is struggling to hang on while they wait. It's a report card. Waiting is absolutely a report card in our life. You can easily, if you're, if you're not doing well in it, you can easily feel like God has forgotten. And as I said, he's not forgotten, he can't forget you. He's written your name on the palm of his hands. He knows every hair on your head. He knew you before you were in your mother's womb. He crafted your body. He knows everything about you. He's not forgotten you. But if you're shallow in your faith or you're not, you're not disciplined in your faith, it can, easy, it can easily feel like he's forgotten. Just like the children of Israel, when they came out of Egypt, God had literally just brought them out of a land of slavery, miraculously did incredible miracles, brought them out, brought them to Mount Sinai. Moses goes up to the mountain with God. He's given him the, the law, the 10 commandments. And the Israelites are tired of waiting for him, so they go to Aaron and say, listen, just make us a, something that we can worship, a God that brought us out of Egypt. Moses is gone, he's been gone for a while, he's probably not coming back. God's obviously forgotten us, this is not working, we're tired of waiting, give us a God to worship. And we can ridicule them all we want, but how often do we do that? I'm tired of waiting for God, so I'm going to either do it myself, or I'm going to give my worship to something else. But that's not God's heart for any one of us. But it is a report card when we wait. So I came to tell you today that I believe that you can wait well, that we can all wait well. I'm not here to tell you today that your, uh, your miracle's right around the corner, that everything you need is just, just hang on for a few more minutes. I'm not gonna tell you that today. For some of you, it's true. For some of you, what do you need is right around the corner. But for some of you, what you need is, as far as a solution to your problem is not right around the corner. It might be, you might be in the long game. You might be in it for the long haul. I can't tell you what God's gonna do in your situation, but I can tell you that we can unequivocally wait well in our life. And that's God's heart for you today. And I hope to give you a couple tools. And I'm gonna start in 1 Peter. Okay, so there's two letters from Peter that he wrote to the church, the early church. And the first one uh, is especially significant. I, well, I love both of them, actually. I read, read them both a lot. And this, this first letter that he wrote to the church was when, while the persecution of the early church was starting to escalate. It wasn't horrible yet, people weren't being killed for their faith yet in Jesus, but it was getting worse. And they were going through trial and tribulation and persecution, and they were waiting for God to deliver them from some stuff in their life. And so Peter wrote this letter, and there's some things we can take from this. Now, we, uh, we don't go through a lot of persecution and a lot of uh, tribulation for our faith yet, but we do understand trial, we do understand testing, we do understand waiting for God, right? And there's some beautiful truth in this. So in response to their trials and their waiting, this is what Peter says in the beginning of his first book, first chapter, after he basically says hello to them, we'll start in verse three, he says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He starts out right, doesn't he? This is in response to their trials, church. Praise be to the Father, the God Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ through the dead, or from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade that's kept in heaven for you. Beautiful. Who through faith are shielded, this is you, you are shielded through faith by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So in response to the early church suffering for their faith and waiting for God to help them through this situation, 
Peter comes out of the gate and says, I got some great news, guys. And he basically gives them the gospel, which this is to the church. They're already saved. But he's reminding them of the truth of the gospel. Now, why would he do that? Because sometimes we just need to reset. Sometimes we need some perspective. Sometimes we're so caught up in what God's making us wait for that we can forget or lose sight of the fact of these incredible promises that Peter gives us in this letter. See, I'm as guilty as the next person of when I read in the Bible. Like I said, I've read this letter many, many times, and I know it well enough to know that when he starts, that's what he's gonna do. He's gonna greet them, and then he's gonna give, like, be thankful to God for the gospel. And I can read it just like, I'm just as guilty as anybody, where I'll read through that and think, yeah, 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 that's right, I know the gospel, I've heard that a thousand times, and I wanna get down to the meat. Like, where's the, where's the meat and the structure and the stuff I can really chew on in this letter to encourage me? When the reality is, the meat is at the beginning. The meat is what's given at the very beginning where Peter is saying, listen guys, I know you're going through a lot of stuff, but let me remind you of the incredible mercy that's been given to you, this living hope that you have through Jesus, and you have an inheritance that, is, that can never perish, spoil, or fade away, and it's kept in heaven for you. Oh, and by the way, you're shielded by God through his power for you until that day of salvation comes. He's basically saying, listen, I know there's stuff going on, but nothing down here has any effect on any of the stuff up here. Nothing down here can do anything to tarnish, spoil, or perish, or make your salvation and your eternal inheritance fade, and that should be enough to encourage you, church. That's what he's saying. That should be enough right there. If I stop right here, that should be enough. Because at the end of the day, our salvation is secure, and that is a beautiful, beautiful thing that we can stand on that and know that it is the truth. And so it's so easy for us sometimes to think, you know, the, internal, the eternal inheritance is that thing that's gonna come after I die, right? That's when, G or if Jesus comes back, I'm gonna go be with him, that's when I'm gonna experience that. But you know what, especially for us when, when you're younger, you're like, man, that's a long, that's 100 years from now. I'm never gonna get that old anyway. I'm just gonna live forever. So it's easy to think that's never gonna come. I can't even... I can't focus on that right now. I got stuff right now I'm dealing with. But the reality is that eternal inheritance is not for after you die, it's for today. Paul said you have a living hope. It's alive in you. The hope of Jesus is alive in you today. It's not just for the future. Now the, the full fruition of it doesn't happen until we're with him, and that's gonna be amazing and really, really incredible. But there's hope for us for today because of the promises of God in our life. And Peter's saying that should encourage us. In fact, he goes on in verse six. He says, in this, you greatly rejoice. Praise God. Greatly rejoice under persecution. Great, greatly rejoice under trial, under, under uh, tribulation, under the challenges that you're going through, under waiting for God. Greatly rejoice in this, though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So he's not negating the fact that they're suffering. He's just saying in the midst of it, you can still rejoice because of the salvation you have. They have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine. This is really important, watch this church, and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy in the midst of your trials and your waiting, for you're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your soul. 
So he says that, yes, all that's great, even though for a little while you're going to have to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. Now watch this, he says, this has come so that your faith may be proved genuine. Very, very important phrase in this passage. Because that word proved there, that's the Greek word heurisko. I think I said it right. Probably supposed to roll the R, heurisko, okay? <laughs> Nothing like butchering Greek from the stage, right? But that word means to find the thing being searched for. I love this. He's saying, so you're, this is happening so that your faith will be found because it's being looked for. Your faith will be proven, the genuineness of it will be proven through these things that come your way. So, who or what on the earth and in this universe wants your faith to be found and proven? Does, does your enemy want it? Does Satan want your faith to be proven? Nope, he wants it to be destroyed, right? He wants you to have no faith. Do you in your nature want your faith to be proven? Not really, you just want your way. I just want what, what I want, that's really what I want. The only person in the universe that wants your faith to be proven is your heavenly father. As he says he's looking for it. He's looking to, to prove the genuineness of your faith. So what this tells us, church, is that some of the waiting we are going through is ordained by God. He ordains waiting, he ordains trials in our life because he wants your faith to be found. Have you ever considered the notion that God doesn't even want your faith to be untested? That if, if, if everything would just be the way it's supposed to be, that God would just want your faith to just be easy, that everything would just be smooth, nothing would ever go wrong, and you would just glide through life. You, do, you, do you feel like that's what God would want? Well, that's contrary to scripture, because that's not what he wants, he wants your faith to be tested. And we understand that because if you've ever had to lead anybody, whether you're an employer, whether you're a teacher, whether you're uh, whatever you are, if you're leading people, the people you want to bring onto your team are the ones you know have been through stuff and have come through it. The ones that handle adversity well. You don't want the person that's never had to go through anything because you don't know how they're going to respond when trials come their way. So just like we would want somebody that's been tested and proven, so does God. He wants that, and the reason he wants it, one of the reasons he wants it, one of the reasons he won't just fix it in our life whenever we want him to, is because he's wanting to bring praise, glory, and honor to Jesus through it. That's his primary goal, is that our life, is that our waiting well would bring praise, honor, and glory to Jesus. Even more important than getting the solution we want, church. Even more important than that. Now, he's a good God that gives great gifts, so sometimes the solution turns out the way we want it. But either way, it's about bringing praise, honor, and glory to Jesus and to him alone in our life. You know, this, is, this passage is what, it reveals how dangerous the prosperity gospel is because the prosperity gospel would make everything about you. It makes your faith about you. Your miracle's right around the corner. Your health, your healing is right around the corner. Your financial provision is right around the corner. Sometimes those things are true, but the, the error here is that it's making it all about you. It's making it about you. Like, if I could just hang on, then this will happen for me. When the truth of it is that Jesus is actually looking to glorify himself through your situation, whether the miracle comes or whether the, the provision comes the way you want it to come, to, the way you want it or not. It's about bringing glory to him, him and him alone. 
him first and last. Not, not him first, then you get a little bit of glory. He gets all of it. And he will not settle for anything less than that. And I know that's not the popular gospel today, but it's actually the true one. It's the only one that actually lines up with the word of God. So if we're just, if we're just giving our money to the church because we're expecting God to, to help us in our financial distress, then we've missed the heart of giving. It's not about giving so that you can get. You actually get so that you can give. It's about glorifying Jesus with everything that we are. Even the things we do, which just for the motive of what it's gonna do for us, we've missed the heart of our God. So, we're here about bringing, we're, we're about bringing glory to Jesus. And I can say this, church, I can say it with a pure heart, I say it from the stage, but I would say it in my life too, that if my waiting brings glory to Jesus, then it's worth it. It doesn't mean I wanna wait. I'm just like everybody else, I don't wanna wait. I'm pretty laid back, but I still don't like to wait, especially if I don't see a purpose in waiting. If I feel like you could do this now and it would be great, then that's kinda what I want. But if me waiting for God brings glory to Jesus, it is well worth it, because that's what the goal should be for us anyway. So what I wanna do, the rest of my time here is to give you a couple principles of persevering while we wait that I hope will encourage you and, and challenge you. And the first one is that we refill on hope. Anybody need a refill of hope? I know there's a lot of hopelessness. I know there's a lot of weariness. I know that a lot of us feel like we're empty. And you know what the, the fact of the matter is? When we feel empty, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna fill up on something. None of us are just gonna sit around and be empty. We're going to fill up on something. It's important though that when we are filling up, we're filling up with hope. We're putting ourselves in a situation where hope is growing in our life, that we're not filling, up, filling those places in our life with false gods or other things that would just appease us for the moment, but that we would actually fill up on hope in our life. I know they say misery loves company. We can, when we're hopeless, we can find other people that are hopeless and be miserable with them, but somebody said one time, misery loves company, but it's never gonna pay the bill. You're still gonna have to pick up the tab. It's short-lived and it's not going to do, make you feel better. We need to be in situations where we are refilling on hope in our life. And I'm just like you guys, I'm waiting for stuff too. I'm waiting for God for multiple things in my life. And if I'm brutally honest, over the last couple weeks especially, I've, I've struggled a little, a little bit with discouragement. And it's interesting because Joy and I were talking this week and she listened to a great podcast it was actually about First Peter. And she sent it to me and I listened to it. And it was amazing what I could feel happening as I was listening to it. I could feel hope rising up in me. I could feel myself being encouraged in the Lord because I started to see that really the reason I'm discouraged and the reason any of us are ever discouraged is because we're making it about ourselves. That's always, that's discouragement is about self every time. And it's funny because I can learn it over and over and over and over again and I keep having to continually learn it over and over and over again. Where I'm knowing that I need to be encouraging myself and knowing that it's not about me, what I did was I got some perspective and realized, oh yeah, my salvation is pretty awesome. And that is something that should lift my spirits and it should bring me joy. If the fact that you're saved and you have an eternal destiny with Jesus, if that doesn't help you to bring joy in your life, you need to step back away from all those things that you're dealing with and, and re-look at your faith and your salvation because it's a pretty big deal and it should bring joy in our life. You might think, well, why is hope so important? Well, because hope anchors us to our faith. It helps to anchor us to our faith. 
And our faith in Jesus is the only thing that's gonna get us through, church. It's the only thing that will consistently get you through. There might be other things that'll help you in the short term, but in the long term, the only thing that's gonna get us through is our faith. And the worst thing that we can do while we wait is to lose hope. It's the worst thing we can do. If you are hopeless, you need to declare DEFCON whatever the highest number is. I don't know what it is, but you need to not sit in that place because you become cynical, you become skeptical, you, you stay in that hopeless place, and when you're there, nothing is good in life. Nothing is good, and you can't even see the goodness of God because nothing's good. Ice cream doesn't taste good. You can't even enjoy it when Alabama loses on a Saturday. That's when you know you're hopeless. We are called to hope. We're called to hope. It's not just something, we're, it's a suggestion. We're called to it. Ephesians 1 and 18. The Apostle Paul said, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. You're called to hope. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. He has called us to hope. Listen, church, when you're born, you're born with five senses. We all know that, right? You have five senses and you need all five of those. If you don't have one of those senses, you don't get to experience that sensation, right? If you're born or you can't see, you don't get to experience the sensation of seeing, right? You have to have all five of those and that's all you get. But when you step into the family of God, when you step into a life of faith where you have given your life to Jesus, you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit dwells in you and what happens is you get another sense. You get one that those outside of the faith don't get to experience. You get a sense of where you get to experience things on a spiritual level. You get to have discernment and wisdom and you can, you can feel the Lord prompting your heart. You get conviction. You get these things that come from the Spirit of God. You get that and that's exactly what Paul is talking about here. He's saying, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. That's the sixth sense that God gives us when we are part of his family. So Paul's telling us here, he's praying that, the, that we would be enlightened to see behind the curtain that we'd be enlightened to see behind the scenes. We just get some behind the scenes footage of what's actually going on. And if you can see behind the scenes, you'll see that there is a huge cache of hope sitting there that's yours for the taking. You are called to it, but you have to pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you can actually see it so that you can grab onto it. We get an incredible privilege of having this sense by the Spirit of God in our life and being able to see things that others cannot see. And when the eyes of our heart are opened, the waiting changes. The waiting completely changes when our eyes are open. We go from hopeless waiting to hopeful waiting. And hopeful waiting is expectant waiting. And expectant waiting is really good because you're just biding your time. You're believing for God to do what he is, says he's going to do in your life. I love what the psalmist said in Psalm 27 and 13. It says, I am still confident in this. I will see, everyone say, I will see. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. He's saying, I am confident, I am expectant that I am going to see his faithfulness in my life. I will wait for him. He is confident that he's going to see something he can't see now, that he can't see with these eyes but he can see with the eyes of his heart. That's what God has called us to, to refill with hope, 
Pray that God would open our eyes. I would pray, if you are struggling with hopelessness, I would pray Ephesians 1, 18 and 19 every day until the eyes of my heart are open to see what God's doing. Because a lot of times, if we could just get the perspective, it does, the situation, the solution is, is less important. If we can even just get a sense of what God is doing in the midst of it. And that our faith would be found to be sincere in our life. All right, the next thing we would do is that we, to persevere while we wait, we wait actively. How many of you know there's a difference between passive waiting and active waiting? There are two very, very different things, right? Passive waiting is, I, I thought of this this week. Uh, so years ago, I was, a, I was a home builder and I was building a house and I got a call that uh, a pipe had burst and the house was flooding and it was close to being done. So there's drywall, everything in the house, carpet, not a good call. It's not a call you want to get. And uh, so I took off, flew to the house. I wasn't too far from it, so I was able to get there within a few minutes. And I, there was a guy that I had just hired recently. He was a young guy. I think he was 18. Didn't know anything about building. He wanted to learn about building. And so, you know, he convinced me to hire him. And so he was, he was actually at the house. And when I pulled up, he was standing outside just leaning on his truck. And I said, oh, I said, you guys, you get taken care of? He goes, no. I said, I don't know what to do. <laughs> now, I wanted to put him in a headlock and introduce him to the roughneck world of construction. But I did not, because I was a Christian then too. Uh, but I ran in the house, found out the leak, we, we stopped it, but it did, did quite a bit of damage, it turned out to be a whole thing, it was a mess. When I came out of the house, I said, why didn't you go in and do something? He said, well, I don't know what to do. And I'm sitting there going, I mean, the least you could do is run in and see, I mean, there might just be a, something there, you put a bucket there and save the day, you know? He was very passively waiting, and I was passive-aggressively wanting to do something, too. <laughs> and so that was frustrating, but God has not called us to passively wait. While we wait, we can still be doing. The, the idea of active waiting, it, it, to me, the, the best thing I can think of for that is like when you plant a garden, okay? If you were to have a garden, I know nobody does that anymore, but let's say you did. I, my parents had one when I was young. I was the weed puller. I hated it with a passion. Uh, there's trauma in my life because of pulling weeds, but I'm, I'm good. Uh, but anyway, so when you have a garden, what you're going to do is you're going to plow the ground up, you're going to plant seed, and then you're going to wait, all right? You can't make seed grow. You can't make the vegetables grow. You're going to wait. But you know what you're going to do while you're waiting? You're going to water. You're going to weed, trust me. Got a lot of weeds grow in a garden. And then you're going to have to cut back stuff sometimes. And then you're going to water again. And then you're going to weed again. And then you're going to do water again. And you're going to do all these things. And finally, the vegetables are big enough that you can harvest them, but then you have to pick them, then you have to take them inside, you have to clean them, and you have to cut them, and a lot of times you have to cook them. You have to do all these things before you actually get to experience the harvest, before you get to eat the food. A lot of waiting in the midst of that, but if you just passively wait and stand there and do nothing, you're gonna have a weed garden. And I don't, weeds don't taste very good. So when we're waiting, we actively wait. That's God's heart for us is that when we wait, we're still being active, we're still being expectant, we're still doing the things that we know will be good while we wait. There is nothing worse than God's people waiting for him with their arms crossed and their lip poked out. Nothing worse. In fact, God frowns upon that type of waiting because he has not called us to that kind of waiting. When we say, God, why do I have to wait? Why do I still have this horrible boss? Why do I still have migraines? 
Why is my relationship still not fixed? Why don't I have any friends? I've asked you to bring me friends, God. Why, why don't I have that? And we wait complaining. We just wait passively because we're like, well, God, you gotta do something. Rather than actually be proactive, which is biblical, which is scriptural, which is very healthy for us to do in our life. And when we don't do it, it breeds weariness. Galatians 6, 9, it says, let us not become weary in doing good. This is a verse about waiting. So don't get weary in keeping on, even though you're not getting what you want right now. You're waiting. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now, we all love this verse, right? This is a beautiful verse. We reap what we sow, right? But there is one thing about this verse that's very easy to miss. The biggest, hugest two-letter word on the planet is in this verse. If. It says, if you do not give up. The harvest that you're wanting to reap, according to scripture, is conditional. He says, you will reap harvest if you do not give up. Not giving up is about actively waiting. It's about doing what you know to do. In other words, the way we wait determines our harvest. I hope you guys get that today. The way you wait determines your harvest. Now, you will get a harvest either way. But your harvest, if you don't wait well, is going to be one of frustration, being disgruntled. A lot of people are deconstructing their faith. Those are people that haven't waited well. The majority of those people have just been waiting for God for something, haven't experienced what they want to experience, so they deconstruct, walk away from their faith. So you'll still, re you'll still reap a harvest, because you are gonna reap what you sow. But if you want, the harvest you wanna get comes from waiting well. And not only that, the harvest you wanna get isn't always going to be the perfect solution to your problem. Listen, church, I know, I, I feel like I say this all the time, but it is the truth of the word of God and we need to know the truth. We know in our head that that is true because we see how the world works and we know not every Christian gets every answer to every prayer perfectly, but there's still something in us that wants to believe that the harvest is always going to be getting exactly what I want perfectly. It's not. Sometimes the harvest is just having perspective on the situation. Sometimes, it, sometimes we won't even understand it. You know, the people in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11, many of them didn't get the answer to their prayer before they died, yet they're in the hall of faith. The question is, could you be in the hall of faith if God never answered your prayer? Would it, would it affect your faith in such a way that, that your faith would still found, be found to be pure if you didn't get what you want? There's gonna be a harvest. Sometimes the harvest is just having the perspective that God wants you to have in the midst of your situation. Isaiah 40 and verse 29. Everyone loves this verse too, it's beautiful. He gives strength to the weary and the one who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles, they will run and not get tired, they will walk and not become weary. Wait for the Lord and they will renew their strength. Now, that word wait there is like a militant wait. It's, it's the picture of a, an army officer with full gear on with a spear standing there waiting. It's not a passive waiting, it's not a pouting waiting, it is an aggressive, active waiting. It says if you wait that way, the Lord will renew your strength. And notice here, he doesn't say that he'll give you everything you want if you wait right. He says he'll renew your strength. Your strength is what you need more than the resolution to your problem sometimes. 
He'll renew your strength. There's no promise of always everything happening the way we want it to. But that, that can't be the only win in our life or we will just live frustrated and discouraged because even if he does answer one thing the way you want him to, the next one might not be. So there'd be this constant roller coaster of emotions. God, you're the greatest thing in the world. God, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> and it can happen in a day's time because that's just how we are as humans. So we wait actively. And third and finally, we fight off the buzzards. Now, if you're taking notes, you're gonna take good notes on this because if you just write that and go back two weeks from now, you're gonna wonder what in the world that meant. But I'm gonna explain it to you. We fight off the buzzards. We have to fight while we wait. We fight while we wait, amen? We fight, now I'm not talking about fighting like with your spouse. <laughs> That's not the kind of fighting we're talking about. I'm talking about fighting for your faith while you wait. And this comes from Genesis 15 where Abraham was promised by God. God said, Abraham, you're gonna possess this land, which later ended up being the promised land, the land that Israel is in right now. It was a promise from God. You're going to inherit this land. You're gonna take it. And Abraham said, that's great. How will I know that that's gonna happen? <laughs> the question we would all ask too. Thank you, God, can you prove it? Uh, and so God says, okay, I want you to get a heifer, a goat, and a ram, and some birds. And then I want you to take the heifer, goat, and ram, and kill them, cut them in half, and separate them. And so that's exactly what Abraham did. He did exactly what God told him to do. And the Bible says that Abraham waited. It says while he waited, birds of prey were coming and trying to eat these dead animals because that's what birds of prey do. And he was having to shoo them away. He was having to keep them away while he waited for God. So there was buzzards coming in wanting to have dinner and Abraham saying, you can't touch this, this is God. And Abraham did everything God asked him to do. So the logical, our logic would say in that, God, what are you waiting on? I've done what you've asked me to do. Why are you waiting? Come do this. I'm having to fight off these birds. And you know, in the Bible, when you look at uh, types and shadows, there's all kinds of types of shadows in the Bible. Birds of prey are oftentimes demonic. It's a, it's a representation of the enemy, okay? So you look at this and Abraham, put yourself in Abraham's shoes. God has told you to do something. You're waiting for God for something, and he says, okay, I'll give it to you. I want you to do this, okay? And I'm not talking like an audible voice, but you just know in your heart this is what God's telling you to do. And you do it knowing that's what God told you to do, and you're still waiting for God. And the meanwhile, who's coming? The enemy. He's coming in, trying to cancel out what you're doing. He's trying to get rid of your sacrifice. He's trying to make you question whether or not you're really doing what God told you to do. Did God really tell you to do that? Because if he did, why is he making you wait? If I was God, I wouldn't make you wait. I'd have been there as soon as you got those animals. What are you waiting on? You can't trust him. Those are the lies that come at us all the time when we're waiting for God. God, what are you doing? God, are you even real? I do you even care about me. I mean, are you too busy? Are you somewhere else? Like, did I, did I mess up so bad that I can't, you can't even come through for me? What's the sin that's in my life that I don't know about God? Reveal it to me and I'll repent of it because I need you to do this, right? All the questions we ask, those, all those come from the enemy. Because sometimes while we wait, God's ordaining the wait, and we have to fight off the buzzards while we wait. How many times have you done exactly what the Lord told you to do, and it didn't seem like he held up his end of the, bar of the bargain? The problem with our logic is that if I do my part, God should do his part right away. If I do my part today, God will do his part this afternoon. Because that makes sense to me. When the reality is God's logic doesn't line up with our logic. God's logic is he's wanting to prove our faith, as Peter said. 
That's more important to him, to prove our faith. And if that requires us having to wait for him, even though we're being obedient to him, so be it. Because he's looking to glorify his son through our life and through our waiting. And it doesn't even have to make sense to us. It doesn't make sense. That, it doesn't even explain why he made Abraham wait. It doesn't have to make sense. The reality is God knows more than we do. His ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. We are finite people with finite minds. They can't even begin to comprehend a, a, a tenth of the knowledge of God or a, a millionth of the knowledge of God. And so we can't use our logic. We have to trust him in the midst of all of the waiting. You see, the Bible says that he refines us. He refers to fire. In fact, Peter mentioned that in the verse I read, that, that our faith is refined by fire in our life, right? And so the thing about fire is that fire always does the same thing when it's present. It's gonna burn. It's gonna burn whatever it attaches itself to, right? It's going to have an effect on whatever it attaches itself to. The, the variable in a, in a situation where there's a fire, the variable is usually actually on the object that the fire is attaching itself to, right? The fire's always gonna do what it does. It gets hot and burns. But depending on what it's attaching itself to depends on what the outcome is going to be. If a fire attaches itself to a piece of paper, paper's history. If the fire attaches itself to straw, the straw is history. If the fire is going to gold, it refines it. The same fire that will destroy paper refines gold. And God is saying, I want your faith to be like gold. I want, my, I want the fire that's coming to refine your faith, not destroy it. The question is, what is your faith? What does it look like today if you had to describe it? Is your faith more like paper or is it more like gold? Are you allowing God to refine you or do you feel like you're being destroyed by the waiting in your life? And only you can answer that. The good news is if you are feeling like you're being destroyed, it's not too late. You can always turn around. That's the beauty of this faith. When we repent, when we stop responding the way we've been responding negatively and in sin, as soon as we turn and repent and face him, he forgives us and cleanses us and then he starts to refine us. 1 Timothy 6, and I'll finish with this, verse 11. It says, but you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance. You only have to endure when you're waiting. And gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. We have to fight the fight of faith. If your faith is not a fight, you're probably not doing it right. Because it's always, here, here's the thing. Faith is always going to be on the fringes of society, okay? This idea that if, if people have enough faith that, that, that everything will just, society will become a Christian society, it's not, even, it's not even really biblical or scriptural. Faith has always been on the fringe. Peter's letters are all about the faith being on the fringe and then being persecuted by the government. Right? Faith is always going to be on the fringe. Jesus said that the road that leads to destruction is wide, and a lot of people are on it. And the road that leads to life is narrow, and few find it. So faith, the narrow road, is always going to be the fringe, church. So if it is a core value of yours to be mainstream and to blend in and to not ruffle feathers and to just kind of go with the flow, you can't wait well if that's a core value in your life. Because your faith is not going to line up with society. Faith is always going to be on the fringe. We are always going to be on the fringe of society. It's not gonna be a way where it's just like everybody's Christians, and now if you're not a Christian, you're in the minority. It's not gonna happen. I, I'm not trying to be fatalistic, I'm being scriptural. 
That's the reality. It's the words of Jesus. It's all through the Bible. You've never seen it any other way. Now, does that mean we just give up and say, well, let, let them all you know, ride the wide road and go to their destiny? No, of course not. We pray, we, we, we live this life. I mean, the reason I'm up here today is because I believe that, that the harvest is plentiful, that God wants to bring in a harvest of souls. So we don't ever negate that or, or neglect that or think that that doesn't matter, but this idea that we can be mainstream and go with the flow and still wait well in our faith and expect God to do these things, we're always gonna have a skewed perspective of what our faith even is even supposed to look like. We have to fight for our faith because the road is narrow of walking this faith. Praise God. Would you stand with me? I'm gonna, I'm gonna close. We live in a society where we wanna take the path of least resistance. And there's nothing wrong with that in society. There's nothing wrong with that with practical things in your life even. A couple weeks ago, we realized that Kenzie's car was losing oil, the, the valve cover gasket was, was shot, and so I looked up how much a valve cover gasket cost, then I called a mechanic to ask them how much they would charge to buy it and replace it, and I thought, eh, maybe I can just replace it myself. And I watched a YouTube video, and I said, oh no. <laughs> no, 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 no. You know, the guy on the YouTube video is like, oh, you just do this and this and this, and it's like 85 things, he's going so fast. No, no. And I, I know a little bit about cars, but I wasn't gonna do it. So I chose the path of least resistance because it wasn't that much more to let them deal with the trouble of the valve cover gasket. It's great, nothing wrong with it. I do it every time, right? But that can't be how we describe our faith where it's the path of least resistance. God, what's the easiest route I can take to get to where you want me to be? It's not how it works. We have to fight. We have to refill on hope. We have to fight off the buzzards. We have to be diligent. We have to actively wait. We don't wait like this. We wait like this. We worship God while we wait. We trust him. We learn how to trust him through perseverance. And our faith is proven to be genuine. And it's worth it and it's hard work but our faith we're not meant to be lazy i've said this many times but our faith is not a cruise ship it's a battleship we're not meant to kick back and just kick our feet up and ride this life until we get to heaven it's going to be a fight because we are on the fringe of society being in the faith of jesus so i want to pray for us i want to pray for you i'm going to ask you to come up come to the altar let's pray today if you if you're waiting for god for something and you just want you just want to declare today that you're going to wait and trust him let's let's pray together don't wait around let's go let's come to the altar there's something to be said for responding to him, responding to the word, to say, yes, God. I wanna wait well. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Church, just begin to worship him however you wanna worship him. Just wanna close your eyes and tell him. We sang that song today, holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, all thy work shall praise thy name. All thy works shall praise thy name. We praise your name, Jesus. We praise your name, Lord Jesus. You are high and lifted up. We magnify your holy name, Jesus. Lord, we honor you today. We wanna to see you glorified in our lives. We wanna see your name lifted high. We wanna see you exalted. Lord, our life, our salvation, everything about who we are, Lord, is designed to bring you glory. Lord, we wanna bring you glory while we wait. Lord, we pray today that you would refill our hope. Help us to, 
to do what we need to do on our end to allow the hope to rise up in us. And God, help us to wait actively. Lord, we don't wanna wait with arms crossed, we wanna wait with arms lifted high, trusting you and worshiping you and knowing that your ways are so much higher, God, and that we will reap what we sow, Lord. We wanna reap a harvest of your glory, and we wanna reap a harvest of, of perspective of what you're doing in the situation, but Lord, we also wanna reap a harvest of you bringing solutions to our situations. God, you're a good father. And I pray for those at this altar today, God, that you would meet them at their place of need in a supernatural way. You are a supernatural God with supernatural solutions to our issues. And so, Lord, we thank you for that today, God. Lord, we embrace that we are on the fringe of society. We embrace it, God. We don't resent it. Lord, we, we, we refuse to, to try to make society act like Christians. Lord, we just wanna live the life you've called us to live and to be an example to everyone you bring in our life. Lord, help us to do it. Lord, help us to be a light, help us to be salt. We are a city on a hill. And Father God, I pray that we would shine so bright that people would be drawn to you. Lord, there would be none of yours that would turn away or walk away. God, forgive us where we have made waiting about ourselves. Where we have allowed discouragement or hopelessness to settle in and root into our life. We root that out today in the name of Jesus. We turn from it in the name of Jesus. We ask you to forgive us of our sins where we have fallen short in the name of Jesus. Lord, we think that there is no condemnation for all of us in you, that there is no condemnation. There's only forgiveness and cleansing of our sins. And we rejoice in that today. We give you the honor and the praise. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. Praise God, praise God. Thank you, Lord. Yes, let's praise God today. Thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. You can go back to your seats. I do wanna say one thing to all of you in here. Please don't leave for just a moment. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I can tell you, you don't have, the eyes of your heart have not been enlightened to see what those in the faith can see. You don't get to see behind the curtain if you're not a person of, that's in the family of God. The good news is to be in the family of God, you just have to step into it. You have to understand that you are a sinner, that you've been separate from God because of the sin in your life, and your sin isn't any worse than anybody else's sin. We're all sinners. The only difference between the people going to heaven and the ones not going to heaven are the ones that have accepted the fact that they are in need of a savior, that they've allowed Jesus to forgive them of their sins and to step into a life of faith, giving their life to him, laying down our life for him. The Bible says that if we will deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him, that we can be his disciples. So if you're here today or you're listening online and you have not made that decision in your life, can I tell you, it's the greatest decision you'll ever make. Joy and I celebrated our 22nd anniversary this week, this past week, and I, I told her, I said, you're the best decision I've ever made besides loving Jesus. And because no matter how much I love her, no matter how much I love my family, no matter how much I love things in this life, there's nothing that will ever be better than making that decision to follow him with the rest of my life. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And anyone in here that has given their life to Jesus could tell you that too. Now, the Christian life is not easy, but it's simple. He's done everything. All we have to do is give our life to him. And so, if that's you today, don't leave without making that decision. Whether it's somebody you came with, you can ask them. Or you can come up here to the front. We'll be up here. You can ask me. I'd love to pray with you. Just, I, don't, I, don't wanna, I don't want you to miss this opportunity. I believe you're here today because God brought you here for that purpose to step into salvation with him and have your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Praise God.